Well, good morning, church family. You know, uh, Derek asked us to uh, be thankful for something, and something the Lord brought to my mind was sitting in the back. Your worship is beautiful and encouraging to my soul. I haven't even started yet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last week, Matt, uh, I just want to thank you so much for uh, the message that you. Uh, taught us through and community. It was really good. It hit me on several different fronts. Uh, am I someone's Aaron? Am I someone's her? And uh, I thank you for that. And uh, as I reflected a bit on that, um, I just wanted to, um, uh, I, I was, my wife came to mind in my little community uh, who the Lord has given me to encourage me. Uh, and if you allow me, I'm going to be a little bit self-revealing here for a moment. Uh, I'm a bit of a nervous Nelly. I, uh, I get super nervous and have a lot of anxiety about flying on planes. I wish my traveling mates would just uh, treat me like Mr. T and tranquilize me before each flight. I also don't like traveling in cars with other people. I'd rather just drive separately, uh, if that's possible. And I hate public speaking. <laughs> when I was in... Uh, high school, uh, you parents might want to shelter your children's ears. I, I skipped a lot of school in high school, and, um, and so much, in fact, that I almost didn't graduate. And uh, 99% of the time, it was just for the stupidest reasons to play uh, Nintendo 64 and Goldeneye with my uh, best friends. <laughs> but, um, but the one day that I thought was totally justifiable to skip was if I had a public speaking in English class or something like that. And God has a sense of humor. But I told Jim that my wife is good for me. And uh, while I was thinking and praying uh, about this teaching, anxiety was building up in me. And like any good husband, I kept these thoughts and feelings to myself <laughs> rather than express them with my God-given abilities to communicate. But it didn't matter. She can read me like a book. And uh, she comes to me one morning and she says, I got a verse for you. And uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. My best efforts, my best sermons are in vain if done under my own power. My worst sermon, which I hope isn't this one, <laughs> my worst sermon may be the exact words that the Spirit uses to ignite a blaze in an individual or perhaps a generation. Pressure's off. Be faithful to His Word. Let's go to prayer. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, slow my heart, that you would calm me. And I pray this verse over this family. I pray that the power of God through his spirit be on full display for his glory. I pray that all who hear my voice, that their faith would be made stronger. I pray that the same spirit that descended and given in full measure to Christ be active and abounding in the hearts of his children in this room. I pray that the Spirit be moving and filling without measure on my fellow saints, empowering them for the mighty work that you have laid out for this church. I pray that we would be an effective church, led by the Spirit, for leading the gospel charge in our community. Amen. Okay, as we continue to travel down uh, the road in our hallway series, we come to today's topic, which is Bible reading. How when we put ourselves in the hallway of reading our Bible, it is a way in which the Holy Spirit works to transform us. And I think before we really get going, I'd like to ask the question, what is the Holy Spirit's distinctive activities in bringing about transformation? We are asking ourselves to enter into hallways where the Spirit is active. Well, how exactly is the Spirit active? Wayne Grudem defines this activeness as, the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, and especially in the church. As a member of the Trinity, equal in deity, the Spirit plays a different role than the other two. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, we see the birthing grounds of this new way in which the Spirit moves and interacts with God's chosen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, dot, 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 picking up in verse 9. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. This event, where the Spirit comes and Jesus goes, is known as the day of Pentecost. Since this day, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, since this day at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is now uh, the primary manifestation of the presence of the Trinity among us. So what are some specific ways in which the Spirit brings forth God's blessing? There are four aspects of this work. One, he empowers. Two, he purifies three, he unifies, and four, he reveals, which we saw that uh, in the community talk that you gave. Uh, we saw how the Spirit uses that to unify us. He's active in that, in that hallway. I think you'll find as we continue through our series, you will see several of these aspects at work in many of our topics. Personally, I see all of these uh, in Bible reading. So one, he empowers as we read God's word, we see just how, through the power of the Spirit, he has brought forth life in creation and in spiritual life. He has given power for service in Luke 4.14. It says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit in Galilee. Being of, being of the Spirit, 
and the power of the Spirit, Jesus preached in the synagogue just a few verses later. Luke 4, 18 through 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he is anointing me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release of the captives and recovery of the sight of blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Are we not grateful that the Spirit empowered Jesus to preach the good news? And it would be totally right and acceptable that Jesus would be full of the Spirit. He is God. But you see, what's so incredible is God calls us to be a part of his good work and give us this, power, this same power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and Dallas and Salem and Monmouth and to the end of the earth. Two, he purifies. After all, he is indeed called the Holy Spirit, So to no surprise, we find him at work cleansing us of our sins and actively sanctifying us in our lives. Picking up in 2 Corinthians 3.18, you are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is a gift as the verse continues. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In John 16.8-11, and when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. We see the restraining influence of the Spirit at work in convicting the world of their sins. But the initial work of the Spirit in the believer's life, is to cleanse you, washing you of all your sins. You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6.11. Three, he unifies us. There's no such thing as an individual relationship with Jesus Christ. We are first and foremost saved into a relationship with the Trinitarian God, and secondly, into a family of believers, both local and universal. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Have you ever met a Christian for the first time, and in some strange way, they felt like a lifelong friend? I think the Spirit knows Spirit. It's just kind of that simple. As we are often looking for fruit in our lives and the lives of believers around us, we can also look for fruit in our church collectively as a whole. And I just want to add this as a praiseworthy note, because I think you can find this here at Faith Church, that when the Holy Spirit is working strongly in a church to manifest God's presence, we find evidence in a beautiful harmony in the church family's overflowing love to one another. Praise God for his work in us collectively. Fourth thing is he reveals. And the last aspect of his work is how the Holy Spirit reveals things to us. 
Now, this is done a number of ways throughout our Bibles. We read about Revelation through the prophets as the Spirit carried them along. He reveals and gives evidence of God's presence. He guides and directs God's people. He provides a godlike atmosphere when he makes himself present. He gives assurance of spiritual life. And lastly, he teaches and illuminates. This last way of bringing revelation to us uh, happens most when we read our Bibles. You see, we intake knowledge three ways. Experience, logic, and revelation. Majority of all of our learning comes through revelation. And this is completely true of our Bible reading. In some form or another, most of what you know about God has been through revelation. And if you know and see and taste, any of it is sweet to the least degree. It is a fantastic work of the Holy Spirit making the things that are born of spirit known to those who are born of flesh. John 3.6, John 3.6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. In his divine wisdom, God created revelation in two modes. At Veritas Seminary, Pastor Bill Giovanetti helps define these modes. One, general revelation which happens through nature, his hand at work in history, and in human nature in our conscience. A person without a Bible can reason its way to knowing something about God. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Romans 1.20 and secondly, through special revelation. Special revelation is the voluntary and uh, an intentional act of God by which he communicates to humankind the truth concerning himself, which he conveys the knowledge of his will. Okay, pay attention to the last part. Sufficiently and exhaustively insofar as finite minds may comprehend. God has communicated this special revelation through audibly communicating through his son, Jesus Christ, and the sacred scriptures that are, which we, that are what remain today. All that to say, I think if you want to know God to the highest degree, read your Bible. They say that if you could only have one food to eat, an avocado is actually the one food that contains all the nutrients you would need to survive. Not thrive, just survive. And I'm allergic to them, so I can't eat them. <laughs> they call it a superfood. And I would say, of all the ways you could experience transforming growth in your spiritual life, reading your Bibles is a superfood to not only sustain you, but move you into fully satisfied life and knowing your creator and cherishing him fully. So, what happens when we read our Bibles? What happens when Bibles are pulled down from bookshelves that they've sat on for years? What happens when Bibles are smuggled into countries that they are illegal? What happens when a curious Muslim's 
sits in front of God's word for the first time and discovers the truth that sets individuals free. The same thing happens when a man zealous for persecuting God's people is on a road to Damascus. You encounter the Christ. The Bible is a book about a person, or rather three persons. When believers are willing to place their lives on a collision course with God's word, then spiritual transformation can occur. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The first way the Bible brings spiritual growth into our lives is by simply telling us about God himself. You ever notice you're not in the Bible? You ever notice you're not the main character? I say that kind of jokingly, but isn't it a little true? Have you ever treated the Bible like a magic eight ball? The personal shopper approach, the Xanax approach, right? I feel anxious, so I'm going to read something about being anxious. The problem is with these approaches to reading your Bible is that you're reading it as you being the focal point. I won't say that you can't experience growth these ways, but it's just not the greatest way to unlock deep joy in seeing your Creator as the most worthy being in the universe. The Bible reveals to us the character and goodness of God. From the first few pages of Scripture, we see what a perfect Creator and ruler over all things We see him as compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. We see how God views justice and how he condemns sin. We see how his character is against the proud and arrogant. We see how scripture describes him as the good shepherd, faithful provider, the rock of refuge for all who trust in him. He's demonstrated as the one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere present. And of course, one of the greatest gifts that the Bible gives us about revealing God to us is his plan of salvation. We see the love that God has for his people and how zealous he is for getting the glory that is rightfully his. From start to finish, the Bible is a work pointing to the pinnacle point, which is the perfect, glorious work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We see the intimate bond that exists in our Trinitarian God. We see how since the eternal covenant Between the three, nothing could derail his plan for redeeming his creation. And as this unfolds in Scripture, it shows us the perfect holiness of God. The Bible is our burning bush, a faithful declaration of the presence and holiness of God. The second way 
the Spirit brings about transformation in Bible reading is through the renewing of our minds so that we think, understand, and approach all of life from God's perspective. When I became a devout follower of Christ and a lover of his word, I kind of made this declaration to myself. I told myself that I truly will trust and believe every word of the Bible, even though I don't understand and I can't reason with it all. I prayed that I will submit to your word and allow his word to represent and stand on its own two feet. I'm so grateful I prayed that. Rather than trying to overthink or outthink God's word, I simply prayed, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I give you the freedom to do with me as you see fit, to transform me, my thinking, my understanding, change me. Don't pray like that. Don't pray like that before you read your Bibles if you don't want the hand of God to move in your life. Because you pray that prayer from your heart or hearts and watch out. I just want to tell you a little from my own experience. It's okay not to understand every piece of scripture you read, and especially the first time. Relax and trust that God will reveal it to you when, in his infinite wisdom, sees it fit. The other thing I'll tell you is it's okay to wrestle with scripture. It's okay and normal to struggle and fight it out with God. If any of you were to open my Bibles to Philippians 2, 5 through 11, you would see a battleground. You would see teardrops that have stained that page. You would see finger smudges from turning the pages of Scripture. What you wouldn't see is being driven out of bed at three in the morning, warring over the question, are you God or are you like God? Referring to verse six, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. All the meanwhile, in my personal life, I'm watching in real time my twin brother turn to a life of practicing Jehovah Witness. Obviously, when the dust settled on that wrestling match, I found my lips saying, He's God, and I love to proclaim it. I'm the clay, he's the potter. Have you ever wrestled with scripture that broke you, church? Think back to a time when a verse was hard, you didn't get it. And then the spirit opened the darkness in your mind and shed glorious light on it. God is good, is he not? When we read, study, and meditate on God's word, we find, ourselves being trans- we find ourselves being amazed over and over again about how he sees things, thinks about things, how he does things. He comes to the broken. He rescues the weak. He fortifies the outnumbered. He confounds the wise, and he loves his enemies. 
He is the embodiment of biblical wisdom. Without him and his word at all, can you imagine what this world would look like? Pure hell. The Bible shows us the greatness in the kingdom of God are the servants and humble peacemakers. And the Holy Spirit works through God's word to remind us of this. We learn to think and care for people like God cares for people. We learn that your neighbor isn't just the person next door, but the individual you would never choose to befriend. God is the most generous individual in the universe, giving us his one and only son. He wishes for you to be generous and to give abundantly with a glad heart. Don't be clingy to the things of this world that will burn, but rather build up your treasures in the kingdom to come. As we read, we also see that being Christian is actually less about trying to be good and more about resting in the glorious work of Christ. Not in your own strengths or achievements, but in the victories of Christ. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's contrary to human nature that we inherited from our first father, Adam. This transformed thinking is key to growing spiritually And the Bible is essential for us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 2. So, I've given us a lot of information today. I've explained briefly the role that the Holy Spirit plays today in the church the four active aspects that we see him performing in Scripture, bringing about holiness, empowering the believer, creating unity amongst believers, and revelation. I discussed how reading the Bible is first and foremost a book about God. And when we we read it, we should expect to be transformed through the renewing of our minds. But why? Why is it important to know these things? Why read my Bible? Why need to know how the Spirit works? My answer to that is simple. Because you were made to enjoy God. The chief aim of man is to be fully satisfied in knowing God. The more you know God, the more you will love God. As you begin to study Him, you begin to encounter Him. It starts to become experiential. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. As you read your Bibles, you will encounter such closeness, such intimacy with God. You will wish for more time with Him. He will reveal Himself in ways that make you feel like you're standing on holy ground in need of removing your shoes. I could give you some really practical ways in which you could read your Bibles, like join BSF, Get in a small group where accountability will likely make you read your Bibles more. Get the Bible app. Wake up early. Stay up late. Find some sacred time and fight for it. Be zealous for it. Antoine de Saint-Zupery, which is just a really fancy name and someone should name their cat that. (laughs) They're so entitled, those cats, you know? It's a perfect name. 
Antoine de Saint-Exupéry says this, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and assign them task and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. You see, I could give you five easy steps for better, better Bible reading, and for a while you might be pretty religious about it. But we know God isn't interested in your stellar religiousness. He wants your heart, mind, and soul. He wants you to know him and to be satisfied in him like no other can provide. He wants you to trust him. We humans were made to be imitators. If you see me and my son today, we're dressed almost identical. We do it from the time we're babies. We really imitate people in our junior high years. And before we know, maybe to our surprise, we look in the mirror one day and realize we've turned into our parents. <laughs> it's a really awkward joke when your parents are congregate members. <laughs> Do you think this is by accident? Is it possible that your desire to imitate comes from a God worthy of being imitated? Ephesians 5.1 tells us to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. I want you to be people who love to imitate their heavenly Father. But know this, we will not imitate Him by accident. It will not happen passively like when we turn into our parents. You won't wake up 10 years from now without any effort and, at all and be more holy. It will take fixing your gaze upon his word and the renewing of your minds in order to become what we behold. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do not want these people to walk away here with bigger heads. Lord, let your spirit go and do what the spirit does. Let it conduct open heart surgery. Cut them with your word to their hearts and give them what they need most. I pray, Lord, that they would come away craving closeness, desire, and intimacy with the ability to know and experience the Father, the Son, and the Spirit of God in supernatural ways. Pray that as they draw near to you, Lord, that that closeness you draw to them will be more than they truly need in this world that seeing you will far outweigh anything that, it, that this world might offer. And may this friendship with you cause us to be violent against sin in our lives so that we would bear the image of Christ our Lord. Lord, I know that you love these people. 
You have an entire book out there that explains yourself to them. Let them be hungry for it. Lord, I thank you personally for the way that you came beside me, the way that the Spirit gave me power. And Lord, as your word goes out, do not let it return empty. I pray this over the beloved. In your heavenly name, amen.